Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the MCG Pediatric Podcast. My name is Zach Hodges, and I'm a pediatric hospitalist here at the Medical College of Georgia. I'm pleased to introduce three guests on today's episode. Our first guest is Jameson Kennerly. Jameson is a fourth-year medical student here at MCG. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dr. Hodges. I'm really excited to be here. Great. Next, we have Dr. Jessica Davis. Jessica is a third-year pediatric resident here at MCG. Hi, Jessica, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Dr. Hodges. It's great to be here. And last but not least, I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Lisa Leggio. Dr. Leggio is a professor of pediatrics here at Medical College of Georgia and a practicing general pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Georgia. She is the director of the pediatric clerkship, which is commonly voted as a favorite rotation by our medical students. Individually, she is very successful in medical education and has been recognized as an educator of the year multiple times here at MCG. Dr. Leggio, welcome back to the podcast and thanks for joining us to discuss this important topic. Thank you for that very kind and generous introduction. I'm happy to be back. To get things started, Dr. Leggio, we all intuitively know what feedback is when we hear it, but will you remind us what exactly are we talking about when we discuss feedback in the context of medical education? Sure, Dr. Hodges. It's always good to define what we're talking about before we get started. There are actually three kinds of feedback, appreciative, coaching, and evaluation. Appreciative feedback includes things like, thanks for your help today, or just general encouragement. It's by far the easiest kind of feedback to give, but not as helpful for the learner. Coaching is what we usually mean when we talk about feedback in an educational setting, and this is the kind we will focus on during this podcast. It is formative, meaning done in or near real time, and meant to result in change or improvement. Evaluation, on the other hand, is summative and usually associated with a grade or a consequence of some type. Excellent. So again, those three types are appreciative, coaching, and evaluative feedback. We'll focus on coaching for the rest of today's episode, since this is a type used to improve performance in medical education. Moving on, Jameson, do you want to present our case for the day? I'd love to. Our case for today is about a third-year medical student named Maya. She is starting her second clerkship today in pediatrics. Her first rotation was on a busy inpatient service where the resident usually presented the patient on rounds, and her notes were expected to be extremely thorough. Unfortunately, though, she never got feedback about her notes or had a chance to practice presenting patients. Now she is working with Dr. Smith in a busy private practice. After the first day, Dr. Smith is frustrated that Maya's presentations are unfocused and her notes have too much detail. He needs to give Maya feedback if he hopes to get through clinic efficiently. Dr. Leggio, will you tell us what initially comes to mind when you hear this case? Thanks, Jameson, for presenting this all-too-common scenario. This case illustrates some of the reasons feedback is important. If learners don't hear feedback, they don't know what to do. It's important to let them know what behaviors they should continue and what behaviors need to change. Encourage beneficial behaviors, correct errors, and tweak skills to improve. If learners make errors and don't get feedback, they may falsely assume that they're doing well and continue to make the same errors. It seems obvious to say this, but feedback is so important, especially early in training. But it's also important for us to remember what it's like to be a third-year medical student on a new rotation. When I was in medical school and early in residency, getting feedback from more experienced residents and attendings was key for my own development. Dr. Leggio, what are the common reasons that might explain how Maya has gotten to this point in medical school and not yet received feedback on these issues? You know, actually, she may have received feedback and she didn't realize it. It can be important to label our feedback so they realize they're getting it. For example, you might actually need to say, Maya, let me give you some feedback. This is called signposting, when you explicitly label comments as feedback and may be helpful for some learners. 
Medical students are required to have mid-rotation feedback, and this case demonstrates one reason it is important to take that requirement seriously. But then again, she really may not have gotten any feedback. The team may have been too busy, or they may not have had the skills to deliver the feedback effectively. It's hard to give feedback. That's very true, Dr. Leggio. I'm learning that medical students like myself may not realize that informal feedback may be happening more often than we realize. From bedside teaching to talking through the assessment and plan for one of your patients during rounds, these kinds of corrective teaching are still important forms of feedback that we can continually learn and grow from. However, I know that many barriers exist that prevent more formal feedback from being given to students. Dr. Leggio, what do you feel are some common barriers to giving feedback? That's right, Jameson. Some common barriers include lack of clear expectations, lack of time, fear of upsetting the learner, fear of getting a negative evaluation from the student, and lack of direct observation. The culture of medicine has fostered infrequent direct observation of clinical skills. In a busy clinic driven by productivity, the time demands discourage direct observation. Likewise, the focus on learner autonomy and performance evaluation discourages taking the time to directly observe learners. I agree that setting clear expectations is the key first step to being able to give meaningful feedback. If our learners don't understand what's expected of them, they might not know what skills they should be working on. Next, I thought we might review learner-specific barriers to feedback. Dr. Leggio, from a learner's perspective, what are common barriers to receiving feedback? You know, it's interesting. I've read about and given talks about giving feedback for years, but recently I've become very interested in how people receive feedback. It's really fascinating. When a learner thinks they're doing just fine, they may not be interested in hearing feedback, especially if it contradicts their own perception of their skills. If a learner is not interested in a subject, for example, if a student is applying for a urology residency, they may not be interested in hearing feedback about their performance on the pediatric physical exam. They just don't find it relevant. Also, some people get upset easily and hate to show their emotions in front of a supervising attending or resident, so they may not ask for feedback. I know I've been reluctant to ask for feedback about students' experience in our clinic because I'm kind of afraid of what I might hear. I see this often when we have students rotate with us in the children's hospital. If a student does not plan to go into pediatrics, we might need to think of ways to make different aspects of the rotation relevant to their career plans. This might improve their responsiveness to feedback and their experience during the rotation. Outside of what you have mentioned so far, Dr. Leggio, are there other common reasons why some learners might not respond well to feedback? Jessica, I'm not sure, but I wonder if mindset or goal orientation might have something to do with it. In the literature, there are descriptions of two types of learners in regards to goal orientation. Performance-oriented learners want to look smart, and learning-oriented learners want to improve. It's similar to Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Learners with a growth or learning-oriented mindset are more receptive to feedback, and this feedback-seeking behavior supports the development of mastery. In addition, there are different tendencies about response to feedback. Some people love getting feedback because they hold on to positive feedback for a long time and let the negative feedback dissipate quickly. In contrast, people who hold on to the negative and dismiss positive feedback dread getting feedback, and that can be a barrier. It's so important that we keep in mind these learner-specific factors when planning our feedback. The more we can tailor our feedback to the specific learner, the more they can benefit from that interaction. Now that we've reviewed some of the fundamentals about feedback and introduced many of the common barriers, let's move forward with our case. Jameson, you want to give us an update? Of course. 
So we're back at the busy clinic with Maya and Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith sits down with Maya at the end of the day to give her feedback. He isn't sure how to approach it since she seems nervous and he's afraid he will make her cry. He also doesn't want to come across as a privileged old white guy talking down to the young female student. It can be hard when a preceptor and learner come from different generations, genders, races, and backgrounds. Dr. Legio, what are some general strategies that you would recommend we consider when giving feedback? Sure, this can be tough. One option is to consider including a third person as a witness or chaperone. Sometimes two people can hear the same words and have different impressions. One of our faculty has started doing this and has found it very helpful. A neutral third person can help moderate and translate the feedback for the learner. Hmm, I like the idea of having another person in the room. I know students like myself can occasionally feel uncomfortable being in a small room with the door closed. This may provide some additional comfort for students. Another best practice is to keep statements behavior or competency-based. You don't want to give feedback on something the learner can't change. For example, if they're a generally quiet person, they probably aren't going to change that. But you can focus on behavior. For example, you could say, when you don't say anything in rounds, it appears that you're uninterested. Is there a way you can show your interest and engagement in rounds in a way that's comfortable for you? Making sure that feedback is behavior-based is going to be an important take-home point for me. Many of our learners are quiet and may be overlooked in large group activities. Telling them to speak up won't be all that helpful if they are typically introverted. Instead, we should give them practical behavior-focused feedback to improve their performance during their rotation. I think that's a great idea. Additionally, we can try to encourage a growth mindset. You can set the stage at the beginning of the rotation or the beginning of a clinic session. For example, you could say, My goal is to help us both become better doctors. I'm going to work on my fundoscopic exam by trying to view the optic disc on every child over the age of four, regardless of whether they need it. What would you like to work on today? You know, this shared model for daily improvement can be very helpful. During my first year of being an attending, there were definitely many opportunities for learning on the job. I found myself using this model to help communicate what I was currently working on, and I like to think that it helped demonstrate the importance of learning or improving something every day to our learners. So far, we've mentioned using a chaperone, keeping our comments competency or behavior-based, and encouraging a growth mindset. Are there any other general principles that we need to keep in mind when giving feedback? Yes, feedback should be given on a regular basis so the learner expects it and doesn't feel like they're being called to the principal's office. You could make Feedback Fridays a regular part of your schedule or midweek feedback for shorter rotations. You want to make sure your feedback is given in an appropriate setting. So in a quiet, neutral place, not in a busy hallway in front of the patient or other learners. Timing should be proximal to the behavior while details are remembered, rather than at the end of a rotation. Also, take into consideration timing and how it relates to you and the learner. For example, at the end of a busy day or the day before a student's exam may not be the best time. Feedback is best when given in context of a relationship, so trying to establish that can be helpful. And finally, it should be specific and objective. I agree that the setting and timing are very important. In my experience, it has been difficult to receive feedback when I feel like my time is constrained, I'm tired, it's been a long day, or even when the environment is not quiet. We need to be sure to have protected time for this important part of the rotation for our learners. That's right. And for our listeners, you can use the STOP acronym to remember these best practices. Remember that feedback should be specific, timely, objective, and finish with a plan. We'll be sure to include this as well as a written summary with all of our references in our show notes. Let's keep things going. Jameson, do you want to update us on our case? 
Of course, Dr. Hodges. Next, Dr. Smith invites Maya to the conference room for midweek feedback and asks his nurse to join them. He asks Maya how she feels things are going so far. Maya admits to feeling overwhelmed because she has never had to present under pressure before. He agrees that her presentations are an area of concern and shares his observation that her presentations and notes lack focus. Dr. Smith gives recommendations for improving and then asks how she feels about the plan. Maya looks tearful. Dr. Legio, this is obviously a difficult situation for our medical student. How can a preceptor develop a relationship with a learner to make them feel comfortable and make this encounter conducive to learning? Sure, Jameson. As already mentioned, one of the most important things that can help her feel more comfortable is to give feedback in context of a relationship. Even if you'll only be working for a learner for a single afternoon or just one week, it is important to develop a relationship. Don't get me wrong, I don't mean you have a lifelong relationship where you're meeting up after hours. What I mean is make the learner feel like you care about them. Find out something about the learner, their life plans, dreams, past rotations. At a minimum, learn their name and use it. Demonstrating vulnerability can enhance relationship as well. The preceptor can do this by acknowledging their own past mistakes or reflecting on how an encounter could have gone better. They can share an experience they had that was similar. I can see how that would be helpful for sure. Being reminded that our attendings were once medical students who were on this big learning curve too should provide a lot of comfort. You mentioned earlier about the importance of giving specific feedback. Can you give us some examples? Sure. It can help to give an example of what was observed. Dr. Smith could say something like this. I have observed that your presentations lack focus and include details that are not pertinent. For example, in your patient with conjunctivitis, it was not necessary to present a detailed neurologic exam. I agree. Giving our learners the specific behavior-focused feedback can be very helpful. Especially in the first few clerkships, many students tend to be too detailed and provide unnecessary information. You know this is likely because they don't yet have the experience to know what's important and what's not. Dr. Leggio, in thinking about a more challenging situation, what are some best practices when you're helping a more defensive learner? Maybe their perception of their own skills is not quite correct, or they're not as open to feedback. Do you have any tips? I think this is one of the most difficult parts of giving feedback, and I will freely admit that I don't always get it right. In an academic setting, faculty can be concerned that giving negative feedback may make the learner angry and result in a negative evaluation of their teaching. In rare cases, this could impact promotions and salaries. So it's a tough situation. I usually start by asking the learner how they feel like they're doing. When they don't mention the behavior I have concerns about, I try to tell them exactly what I observed as specifically as possible and ask if they understand. It can be helpful to ask their perspective on how they intended to come across. Giving feedback to a learner who does not perceive their weaknesses or who seems resistant to feedback is one of the hardest things to do. I agree. When a learner's perception of how they're doing is not quite right, that can lead to a challenging situation. Sticking to those best practices you mentioned earlier of using behavior-focused feedback in a non-judgmental way can help. These students might also need earlier and more frequent feedback throughout the rotation. I think the worst thing we can do is ignore the poor performance and only mention it on their final evaluation. I absolutely agree. If you're going to write something negative in a written evaluation, you should have given verbal feedback to give the learner opportunity to improve. Evaluation could probably be a whole nother podcast. Definitely. So thinking back to our case, Maya became tearful when receiving constructive feedback. Do you have any tips for when learners become emotional when receiving feedback? Yes. Don't take it personally. 
We mentioned earlier how people have different tendencies and how they receive feedback. When giving feedback, you can try to sit next to the learner rather than across from them. This puts the problem in front of you instead of between you. Have tissues available in case they become tearful like Maya did. Pause and get their input. It may help to remind them that your feedback is coaching and meant to help them. At the end, you might even want to ask the learner what you could have done to make it easier for them to hear the feedback. When you're the one receiving feedback, you may want to clarify if you don't understand what was said. Sometimes it's hard to hear feedback and it's okay to ask for a break if needed. You can also try keeping your values in mind. For example, one of my values is grace. So when giving feedback, I like to make sure I give people grace whenever possible. When receiving feedback, I try to give grace. So recognize that it's hard for the person giving me feedback and perhaps they saw something differently than how I saw it. These are all great practical tips. Something as simple as sitting next to the learner or asking for clarification if something is unclear can help improve communication. Are there any specific strategies for giving feedback that you would recommend? Yes, Jessica, there are several actually. Dr. Hodges mentioned the stop mnemonic earlier. We can talk about a few more strategies. One is the feedback sandwich. You may have heard of this one. First, you tell them something good, follow with what they need to work on, then end with something good. It has been overused and leads to learners bracing themselves for bad news when they're told something good. The second is one of my favorite strategies. It's called Ask, Tell, Ask. Ask the learner how they feel like they did. Often they have insight on what they need to improve. We already talked about what to do when they don't have that insight. Then tell them what you observed, including both positives and negatives. Keep it behavior-based, specific, and limit to one or two behaviors. Last, ask the learner what they got from the conversation. What would they like to do next and how can you help? You know the ask, tell, ask technique is my favorite strategy. It makes the feedback session more of a conversation than an evaluation and prescription of what to do next. I also think hearing a learner's perception of how the rotation is going makes it much easier to develop a plan moving forward. Dr. Leggi, are there any other strategies that you might use? Yes, an- another more learner-driven method is called prepare to adapt. In this strategy, the learner prepares to be directly observed by a coach. Next, the learner asks to be observed. Afterwards, the coach and the learner discuss how things went, each giving their perspective. Then, each ask for clarification about what was observed or discussed. Finally, they plan together how to improve. I don't think this is a strategy to use all the time, but it may be particularly helpful for a learner working on a particular skill or for formal clinical skills evaluation. It may even be good to use on a learner who initially has poor insight about their performance if they're willing to be observed by a coach. In contrast, ask, tell, ask may be the best for general feedback in the clinic or on the wards. I agree. The ask, tell, ask model is best for those busy days taking care of patients. We can save the adapt model for those more structured evaluations that are sometimes required for various rotations. Now, as we're starting to get short on time, I wanted to finish up with a couple of final questions. But I'll let you, as attending physicians, I feel like we can become more effective educators by asking for feedback from our learners. Do you have any recommendations on how this can best be done? For sure. I find it valuable to meet with students at the end of the rotation to get their input on what went well and what we can be doing better. Growth-oriented teachers may want to ask for feedback from their learners. It can be humbling as an educator to receive feedback again. It strengthens the relationship, shows vulnerability, and encourages and models professional development. It may help to give learners permission to give you feedback. Maybe even give them advance notice so they have time to prepare. That sounds great. I think this will be a very useful episode for our listeners because it applies to everyone in academic medicine. 
Again, we'll be sure to include a summary of everything we discussed and our references in our show notes. Remember those four strategies we mentioned, the feedback sandwich, stop acronym, ask, tell, ask, and the prepare to adapt model. As we wrap things up, Dr. Leggio, do you have any final take-home points for our listeners? My takeaways would be the following. One, give feedback in context of a relationship. Two, keep comments specific, objective, and behavior-based. And three, think of feedback as coaching, not good or bad, but intended to encourage growth and move the learner toward mastery. And finally, I would encourage learners to ask for feedback frequently to foster that growth. Well, fantastic. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining me today. I hope to have each of you back on for another topic in the future. And thank you for listening to this episode from the Department of Pediatrics at the Medical College of Georgia. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can email us at mcgpediatricpodcasts at augusta.edu. Check out our show notes for an opportunity to receive free CME. Remember that all content during this episode is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be used as medical advice to diagnose or treat any particular patient. Clinical vignette cases presented are based on hypothetical patient scenarios. We look forward to speaking with you on our next episode of the MCG Pediatric Podcast.